So a well-defined portfolio, especially for retirees, is actually kind of a boring portfolio, which emotionally we don't like, but mathematically it really proves out to be the best way to do things. Puzzles go by a lot of names. Jigsaws, crosswords, sudokus, brain teasers, brain bashers, brain knitters, knotters, and bucklers. You get the idea. On this show, we deal with financial puzzles. Your host is Money and Clarity Certified Financial Planner, Nikki Early. It's time for the show. Let's put the pieces together. Welcome to another edition, a special edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I'm Walter Storholt, today joined by Dan Capril. Back in action, we uh, we rolled him back onto the scene for a special uh, post-election coverage episode. Hey, Dan, great well, to catch I, up I, with you. I am the political consultant for the for the for the company. So whenever matters of politics come in, they feel compelled to bring me back. So. So there's a hidden website, moneyandclarityandpolitics.com. That Dot Dan com. Owns, right? Yes. That's yes. Exactly. No, it's it's great to um, it's it's great to be back. It's great uh, you know talking with you and uh, you know for all of our clients out there, just just remember, I'm still working. It's just that I'm trying to share the load here. So. Don't get me wrong. It's great when clients call and they always ask for Nikki. I think that's fabulous. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's been funny lately. So I'm, I'm really happy to be on, if anything, just to let you know that um, we're still out there. But um, You ever have but, that moment where Nikki finishes talking to somebody and you're like, wait, they, they didn't want to talk to me either? That's you know, I've never, you know, I've never, no. And I'll tell you why. Because I know that if they don't want to talk to me, then she's doing a really good job. Oh, there you and, go. And, That's good. And, you know, and listen, I realize that, you know, at age, what am I now, 57? I'm at the, one of those weird ages, you always forget how old you are. But, you know, you, you've got to have, you got to have bench strength. You got to have um, people that can help out. And, um, you know, we've seen this in, in 2020 about health is just not a given. So I think it's it's great when, uh, when, when clients are... Um, you know, eager to work with her, et cetera. I mean, let's face it, she's a heck of a lot nicer than I am. So I think that's good. Yeah, well, we all agree on that. I think that's absolutely, uh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, purpose of today's episode, we're kind of reaching the end of 2020 here, Dan. And we knew it was going to be a crazy year going into it because of the Mm -hmm. election. And then all this other stuff happened. But then yet we still had the election happen in November. Mm -hmm. And then things were kind of in doubt there for a little bit while. And, uh, you know, seemed to be reaching some conclusions, I think, on what's going to flip over and transpire in January 2021. But I guess it just depends what channel you watch or what website what channel you, read. you watch. But, but, but it would seem as if it is finally over. Yeah, one would think. Yes. Different yes. levels of certainty depending on your media consumption. Ex- that's for sure. Exactly. exactly. So it's over now, the election, for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's talk about investors. What does yeah. everything that's transpired so far, and I don't know if there's a, a good short-term view, long-term mm-hmm. view that we need to take here, but what, what does this mean for investors today? Well, first of all, let, let's talk a little history here, because there's always been a perception that markets are going to do better under a Republican president as opposed to a Democrat president, because traditionally, Republicans have been perceived as the party that's pro-business, and Democrats were always perceived as a party that was more pro-labor. And so the, the thought was is that you know, if Republicans in office, you're going to have um, lower regulations and you're going to have more favorable corporate tax rates. And if a Democrat's in office, you'll have higher um, regulations, probably higher minimum wages and things like that. And businesses will suffer. And amazingly, the, the, the history of markets tells a completely different story, which by quite a bit, uh, markets have actually performed better under Democrats than Republicans. Now, that's not to say that they haven't done well and poorly under both types of administrations. They have. It's just that when you factor in the really good 
bull runs, like say uh, Clinton's growth, for example, and you look at where some of the real bad ones have been, and the, the worst period of any president in modern history, it would be George W. Bush. Uh, the averages definitely favor the Democrats. Now, there's so much more to the story, of course, than, than just who is the president, because we don't live in a, in a dictatorship. Uh, Congress has as much control over things as the president does when it comes to law. Um, you know, only that which Congress passes, the president just signs it. He can do executive order. But, you know, for the most part, it's a combination of things. And historically, what has really driven market returns has not been policy um, set by Washington. It's been the unexpected news. So I mentioned George W. Bush. Well, you know, the man comes into office and he's probably thinking, oh, this is great. We just, you know, prior to me coming in, you had eight years of economic growth under Clinton. You had a short period of time under his dad where things weren't going to go well. But before that, you had the Reagan years, which were fabulous. So I'm going to have an easy time with this. And then what happens? We have 9-11. Mm. Completely unexpected. And it had a huge impact. And Al then... Alters everything. Alters everything. Just dramatically shakes up the world. And the one thing markets hate is uncertainty. So people are selling stocks and it's, it's a tough time. And then just as things start to get better... We have the, the, whatever you want to call 2008, the fiscal crisis, the housing crisis, the mortgage crisis. Now, that one, I hate to say, was predictable. It's not predictable as to the moment in time that was going to do it. But you can certainly go back and listen to politicians who 10, 15 years ago, I think prior to that, I think John McCain was probably the most prescient one, and which says something because I'm not in any way a John McCain fan. But he did say that, which was, you know, this constant buying of mortgages and then allowing them to be securitized, that's going to come back because we're not really underwriting the risk anymore. So just to kind of remind people, what really drove that whole um, mortgage crisis was the fact that banks could issue mortgages and then turn around and sell them. And those mortgages were sold either through Fannie and Freddie or they were then turned around and sold in the general market where investors could buy pieces of them. The problem is, is nobody was really studying whether or not these loans were good loans. People were just getting money. And there were many cases where people could go to a closing, have no money down and actually get 25% back. I mean, it's just nuts. Eventually, you're going to start lending out enough people, enough money, I should say, to people who can't pay it back and it's going to break. And that was very predictable. Um, Fannie and Freddie, that, who likes to promote um, mortgages, will buy these mortgages from, from banks, so banks don't have to hold the paper. They make a lot of money on just originating the loan. And so it, it was a matter of time before that was going to be a problem. What we didn't realize, though, was that it would be systemic, that ultimately those, would be, those mortgages would be sold throughout the world as shares. And it got very complicated. So if you're the president and that happens under your watch, I don't care how good you are, markets are going to suffer. So I, my advice to everybody is, first of all, take a deep breath. I got a lot of anxious people calling me saying, you know, I want to do this after the election. I'd be like, well, why? I mean, do you, one, do you really know how the election's going to turn out? And number two, you know, is it really going to make a difference? I mean, look, I vividly remember election, um, so it would have been the 2015 election for the 2016 inauguration, and, you know, um, Donald Trump wins. And I remember uh, Stephen Ratner, who was doing um, commentary for CNN, was like, oh, this is going to be the end of the world. You know, the financial markets are just going to collapse. Well, there was some initial selling the first day because those companies that were favorable to Clinton's policies got sold because suddenly they're like, well, you know, if, if you're in 
green energy and Trump wins, that's probably not going to be a good stock buy. But after that, things did fabulously. So there's going to be winners and losers. There are going to be some corporations that are going to be issuing products and services that are going to be favorable to the policies that a new administration is going to have. And there's going to be companies that are not. So if, if you're in the fracking business per se, you certainly wanted Trump to be reelected. Um, now, fracking's probably not going to go away. Uh, but the point here is that this is why you need to have a very diversified portfolio. Because if you do think that government policy is going to affect your holdings, well, you're not going to know who those companies are. But in the end, this is like water and cracks in your basement. Water finds a way. And capitalist markets find a way. So while I know there was a lot of talk about socialism and other things, and we'll talk about some of their policies here in just a second. But if you're broadly diversified, you have to be logical about the future. And that is, yeah, there's going to be obstacles. But I will tell you from history, at least, it's not so much the policies of politicians that cause markets to suffer. It's unexpected bad news, like a virus or a terrorist attack. And you know what? Those things are always going to happen. We're never going to be able to predict them. But we've always gotten through them. And so here we are now in the year of COVID. And if I told you in the middle of this, well, as this crisis started, don't worry, Walter, by the end of the year, and we're, we're doing this in early December, and the stock market is at its all-time high. Now, it, it's trading like at 30,000. Six months ago, it was 18,000. Yeah. I would have never so, thought the recovery yeah. would have been that fast, right? You'd be like, you know, Dan, I know you're an optimist, but you're nuts now. Yeah. This thing just, <laughs> this thing just cratered. Yeah. It's going to be a long pandemic. There's no right. way we'll rebound that quickly. Oh, doom yeah. and gloom. And it doesn't take much to describe that type of a scenario, but rarely are things as bad. And then you, f you forget, though. It's like physics. You know, with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. All right, fine. So if restaurants suffer, who stands to benefit from that? Well, grocery stores. And every, every company that makes a product that goes into a grocery store, because now people aren't going to go out to eat, they're going to eat in. So I have an apartment in downtown Cincinnati. It's about four blocks from where Procter & Gamble's headquarters are. And downtown Cincinnati has been a ghost town since this thing hit. It's, it's almost borderline scary to, to live down there because there's just nobody on the streets. I feel like that movie, I Am Legends, where I go out <laughs> and I'm, I'm literally the only person in the streets. It's gotten better. But P&G, as far as I know, has still not opened its doors. Now, they have a massive home office in downtown Cincinnati. And until they do, Cincinnati will continue to be a ghost town during the day because that was what was driving a lot of that traffic. And yet, I believe they're still having their greatest year on record. Well, makes sense. What do they sell? Well, soap and toilet paper and all these consumable goods that people need and people were hoarding um, that all go in Kroger. Oh, and by the way, Kroger, they're located about eight blocks north of my apartment. And they're having a fabulous year. As far as I can tell, they haven't brought anybody in either. So it's never quite as bad as, as we would perceive it to be. Um, so my, my advice is just, you know, breathe easy. Um, we've had plenty of Democrat presence. We've had plenty of Republican presence. I don't care where your, your political preferences or biases lie. We do have um, a, a rather well-defined constitution. If you're a conservative and you're upset that you have possibly a liberal and president, well, take solace in the fact that for the first time in your life, you have a truly conservative Supreme Court. And it looks like the Senate, um, well, let's assume the, the Republicans get one of the two seats out of Georgia. What you're likely to have is a very gridlocked government. And in my opinion, the government that governs best is the one that governs the least. So four years of gridlock would be fabulous, in my opinion.
and um, that will allow the rest of us to just kind of move on. Yeah, almost like we need the the stabilization a little bit. Sure. My, my takeaway too on that mentality that you mentioned, Dan, of people saying, "Well, let's let's wait till after the election." Yeah. Is that it's a slippery slope because then yeah. it's okay. Well, let's wait till the they actually take office, and then it's okay. Yeah. Well, let's wait till the first hundred days are over to see yeah. what they can accomplish and push through. That's just like a procrastinating mentality that it ills is. a lot of people. And you know, if you think about it, human nature being what it is, okay. So you wait, and markets go up. Now, what do you do? All right, you wait and markets go down. Well, are you certain you got them at the bottom? You're just never going to know. Yeah. What you have to realize is that over time, it really doesn't matter. So I always like to talk about the fact that when I was born in 1963, the, um, uh, the Dow was trading in the 600s. And here we are now at, at 30,000. Well, we know from 1963 to now, there's been a slew of horrible news, not bad news, horrible news. And yet the life that we lead today, well, there's no way if I could go back in time, I could never describe it to my great-grandparents what life is like today. They, right. they just couldn't fathom that, right? The quality of life, the things that we just take for granted. Um, you know, when you read stuff that, that one of the major problems with the poor in the United States is obesity, that just shows you how far we've come Yeah, compared to what we dealt with 120 years ago. Yeah, as as weird as it is, uh, obesity is a sign of wealth in many ways. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, 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 it is. And I'm not I'm not belittling the problems of of the poor, but it just shows you how the standard of what is you know bad has changed dramatically. And it just shows you that whatever the storms are, logically you should conclude that they will be weathered. But this is why diversification is so important. Um, up until just recently a lot of the recovery we were seeing in stocks was just in large U.S. and even a small group of large U.S. And that can be a little dangerous because sometimes investors forget about the benefits of diversification. They suddenly just want to put all their money in the hottest asset class. And you got you to be careful. I've had to have a few conversations with people where this isn't about putting all your money in what has done well in the past. You need to be prepared for all opportunities because when growth comes, you're never going to know where it is. So you want to be spread out in a way that, that improves your chances for long-term success, but does it with the least amount of volatility. And volatility is measurable both ways. If it, if it can go up very fast, it can go down very fast. So a well-defined portfolio, especially for retirees, is actually kind of a boring portfolio, which emotionally we don't like, but mathematically it really proves out to be the best way to do things. Let's talk about some specifics of this new administration. Of course, we've all heard about yep. the Green New Deal mm -hmm. being part of the mission. Uh, yeah. There's definitely some thoughts about raising taxes uh, on, sure. on who that gets raised on. You know, we'll yep. see what pans out. And then the big debate about forgiving student loan debt. Yeah. You know, Dan, as someone who is married to somebody who you know just finished grad school last year, right. we're in the right. process of you know paying paying some paying loans back loans to back, yeah. to the University of Cincinnati, uh, uh, of yeah. course. Uh, I love how that worked. I, you never even had to live in Cincinnati. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Went went there and picked up the Online diploma, school. said thank you, and you know headed back. Mm -hmm. uh, we're big Bearcats fans now, though, and there you go. Hoping they maybe sneak into the playoff or something yeah. this year. But uh, so you know, even from a selfish standpoint, right. I'm putting extra on my payments to for our payments to knock out that loan. Should I stop and and let the government get rid of it for me? It's a really interesting question, <laughs> isn't it? I'm like, I'm like obviously want to make a good choice, but at the same so, time, I'm like, <laughs> so you know, look, we're all human. We all have our own biases. I have a personally have a real ethical issue with the idea of forgiving student debt because let's face it, people borrowed the money and they entered a contract. And trust me, somebody is going to be left holding the back. So to think that, you know, a lot of student debt, it's, 
the interest payments that get paid do show up in things like money markets and other investments. So some investor is going to get hurt by you not paying it back. The, the, the reality here is that it's easy to make a lot of promises, but we have far bigger priorities as a country when it comes to uh, spending money, which if you, if you relieve that debt, the money, the debt will get paid. The question will be who will pay it? Well, the taxpayer will ultimately pay it. And the thing that I caution people with is that the priorities of this country are far greater than, than people having uh, student debt. When you look at the aging of the baby boomer, when you look at the cost of Medicare and Medicaid and, and Social Security, those costs, and then the interest on the existing debt, those costs are so high that it's been projected that in just 10 years, all the treasury revenue that comes in will only go to those things. So you can forget all these other projects that are out there. And, and Biden was, was quick to hedge his bet when he said, well, maybe you know $10,000. And trust me, that would have qualifications too. Like you would have to probably prove that you have a low paying job or that you have a low asset base. Who knows? Who knows? So no, look, if, here's my general, when it comes to debt, if the interest on that debt is low, so low that in fact you potentially could make an equal amount or more on your savings, then yeah, pay the minimum. No reason to pay. It's like mortgages. You know, I have a I have a two and a quarter percent fifteen year note on my house, and you know, to me it'd be like, well, why would I ever pay that off sooner? I mean, that is so cheap that you know, why give up my money that I could use to other things and could grow at a much greater rate than two and a quarter. So no, I, look, I, I would tell everybody, look, you're, if you're contractually obligated, you should pay it. Um, bad credit would, would ultimately follow you if you don't pay it. But I, I probably wouldn't recommend you pay more than you have to if the interest is low. If the interest becomes problematic, well, then no, you, you should try to. But um, for the most part, you should you know, pay what you have to pay. And then with the extra money, I would use that to build up your equity portfolio and build up, you know, build up your net worth. But if we get back to some of these other programs, like Green New Deal, um, and um, what, was, what was the other one you threw R- at me? Raising taxes, so just the, raising that taxes. Yeah. I, I think I think the raising taxes one is one we really have to be prepared for, and that was going to be the case regardless of who won. I mean, I felt strongly that if if Donald Trump had won re-election, that he would have wanted to have that budget balanced by his last year. And we don't give out line item vetoes to our president, so he the only way that you're going to be able to close that gap is not going to be by reducing spending because they won't let you reduce spending. Uh, We live in, for some reason, a reduction in the increase of spending is considered a cut in Washington. So the way you have to do it is you have to dramatically get more treasury revenue to come in. Uh, The Clinton administration was kind of able to do do that by, they did a lot of refinancing of the debt. They went to short-term bonds, so the interest payments went down. But you're going to have to do it really by um, raising taxes. And, and I, I don't think it matters who is in, is in office. So that's why I always recommend young people only use Roth accounts in their 401ks and their IRAs. I recommend retirees consider converting some of that money um, to a Roth, pay the tax now. You don't have to do it all at once, but you can do it over a series of years. And then that way, when tax rates do rise in the future, no matter what they're being used for, whether it be for Green New Deal, or whether it be used for healthcare, whatever, you are going to be protected. The interesting thing is, if you take something like like green things that the people want, um, there's always winners and losers in everything. So whoever makes, for example, windmills 
would probably make out like a bandit with something like Green New Deal, which is probably why a company like General Electric is all for it because, well, they, they stand to profit from that. Um, the truth be told, though, so much of, of what drives climate change, and I'll be honest with you, I put that in air quotes when I say it, is the, it's, a, it's definitely a form of, of wealth redistribution globally because part of the agenda is to give money to third world countries who they feel have suffered by the, the actions of, of governments. Just know this, again, we have a very messy government. Uh, there's a House, there's a Senate, and then there's the executive branch. They all have to agree to stuff. And we have a court that now will be somewhat restrictive on what they let them do if it's not specifically stated in the Constitution. So I don't think you're going to see nearly the, the amount of change that people perceive us um, having. I actually think that from a policy standpoint, you're going to see a lot of similarities to what we saw the last four years. The only difference is you're not going to have a personality driving them that tended to upset people. But I think from a policy standpoint, what has, we've done these last four years has worked actually quite well. There's been no new wars. Uh, the economy was thriving. We've addressed this COVID issue reasonably well when you consider, one, the percentage of people who die as a percentage of the overall population, and the fact that we now seemingly have several um, vaccines. And we did all that in a year. Go back and do your research about polio. And you'll see just how amazing this has been. So I don't really foresee huge amounts of change. Um, I'm actually excited about more gridlock. And if you can take a lot of this with a grain of salt and humor, it could actually be a pretty funny next four years. Going to be uh, interesting to see if 2021 is as crazy as 2020 has been and what's yeah, in store for Statistically, it can't be, right? <laughs> I mean, there's just no way. There's no uh, way. We can't yeah, keep be like, this momentum. It, well, it'd be like flipping heads 10 times in a row on a Monday and convincing right. yourself you could do it on a Tuesday. No way. It, it just can't uh, it just can't happen. So, what, what about folks who want to be proactive? Is there something we should do now before these things yeah. change? Well, certainly, I would recommend that you take advantage of the current tax rates. They are the lowest they've ever been in anyone's lifetime. And you look to, uh, if you can, convert your tax-deferred assets to tax-free. Pay the tax now and uh, be done with it. You know, that tax was going to get paid anyway. It was, it's not even really your money. It's Uncle Sam's money. You can get growth on it by hanging on to it. But if he is going to take a bigger chunk of it in the future... And we don't know for certain. But you know what? Even if tax rates don't go up, which again, I, I can't see how that's possible, but even if they don't go up, um, if you want to leave assets to your, to your heirs, leaving them a tax-free asset is awesome. So I would definitely look at that. I would look at your number 401Ks, your IRA, stuff like that you haven't paid the taxes on. And I would, I would look at that. The other thing too is, again, it, this just speaks to the need for diversification. So if you're an investor who's only in a handful of stocks, and maybe that's worked out well for you, I mean, if you had all your money saying Procter & Gamble this year, it's probably hard for me to convince you that, that, that there's a need for diversification. But there is over time. Companies ebb and flow. And you don't want to get caught up in the emotion of the wave that we're in and think it's never going to um, end. It will. If you want to speculate with some of your money, fine. But you have to be prepared for what you don't know. And that's what diversification is likely to do. And that's why you really do need to be in all major countries. You need to be buying both large companies and small companies. 15,000 holdings is a good mix. I know that sounds like a lot, but if you want to do it right so that you're not impacted by what one company can do, that's the type of presence that you're going to need. That's a great point, Dan. And 
to wrap up, looking ahead to 2021, what's what's your yeah. outlook? I think the Mets are going to get into the playoffs again. <laughs> I definitely think that. I think the Bengals will 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 once again draft high. Um, I think uh, I th- I look at we're, you know it's unfortunate Joe Burrow got hurt because it looks like there's a pretty good left tackle. I think he's coming out of Oregon, so so we got that part of it um, in place. And um, short of that, your guess is as good as mine. But I do think that um, when we look back at this period, we'll realize that maybe it wasn't as bad as it was when we were going through it. It will pass. But, you know, as far as, the, you know, the future of equity markets and all that, no one ever knows, folks. It's, it's driven by the news. And the news is, is always going to be unpredictable. That's why it's news. Remember that. Don't look at last quarter statement and view that as an indicator what this quarter is going to be. You will be misled by that uh, in both a good side and the bad side. Understand that when markets go down, it's a great time to rebalance. And when markets go up, it's a good time to rebalance. So focus on living your life. Uh, we'll get through this. Listen, I'll admit it went a hell of a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. But we will get through this um, as best as you can. Try to live your life. Try to be with the ones you love. Because, you know, money is easily replaceable. Time, not replaceable at all. And I think that's the saddest thing about this year was how fear, maybe justifiably, but how fear has robbed a lot of people of time time that they will never get back. So you got to judge your own situation carefully. But, you know, I, 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 I'm saddened by that. The fact that, you know, you don't get this back and, and I don't want anyone to look back. So to the best that you can in this world order that we are currently in, try to live fully, um, learn, and um, we'll get through it. If anything, um, like I said, statistically, it can't be any worse. So. <laughs> yeah, and and stay but be optimistic. Stay positive. I was going to say, yeah, yeah optimistic absolutely. and positive. Because you know no, what, it's... we took a lot of licks this year as a country, sure. as an economy, and we're still up, and we're still ticking, yeah, and like... and ways have even thrived through sure. what you you know we could have stayed on the mat, right? But we didn't. Exactly. Look, so. go back. I always like to tell people if you think you got it rough, just go on Wikipedia and look up the hi- the history of 19, 1940, 1949. Just read about it. Try to find anything good that happened there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. And we got through it all. And, um, and trust me, there were plenty of epidemics in there too. So um, yeah, no, it'll, it'll, it'll move its way through. But try your best to replace fear with, with intelligence. All right? I think that would really be the key. Um, fear will, will just deprive you in so many ways. And you don't want to get that. I'm not saying don't be careful. You have to be. But you also have to be logical. And, um, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last. But in the long run, yeah, be optimistic. Trust me, we can go through a lot worse news than this. Dan, appreciate the guidance and the help on My the show. Pleasure. Good having you back on with us today. Yeah, and, it was great. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for, um, for listening. And, and listen, if, um, you know, if you, if you want to talk at any point in time, just go to bookachatwithdan.com. You can schedule a 15-minute call with me or Nikki and uh, be more than happy to address whatever concerns may, you may have on your mind. Is, that, is it book a chat with Dan? Bookachatwithdan.com. You like that? Isn't that nice. You know? Well, well, you I know, I like tried to get. You've had like eight variations. I have, that, I have, but yeah. they were never dot com. Oh, okay. That's and right. I wanted a dot com because all the dot coms were taken. That's right. You had like so talk one day, dot net and then meet with Dan yeah, dot exactly. or something. So yeah. one day I'm listening to a guy from Australia <laughs> of all places and he's using this term book a chat. And I go, oh, I like that book because that's what they, you know, they say that over there. Like they, they don't call them reservations, they call them bookings over there. And Europe too. So I'm like, book a chat with Dan. So yeah, bookachatwithdan.com. You get on there, you, you can pick a 15-minute slot. 
talk about whatever you want to talk about. If you're a client, if you're not a client, we're here for you. Um, we're here to talk a little bit of um, wisdom and at the same time, um, patience and logic to what is a time in life when we don't have a whole lot of that. There you go. Bookachatwithdan.com. You can even do it while you're on holiday since we're uh, kind of in the... Uh, there you go. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, or, or, or at hospital since they don't <laughs> well, say Well, yeah, the. that's the other weird thing. They don't use the word the very often. <laughs> have you noticed it that? It always throws... Whenever I watch University. like a Downton Abbey or yeah, a, uh, The Crown hospital. or something like that, always throws me off every time. Well, you know, so they always say like he's going to <laughs> university. And I think now you could say, we do say he's going away to college. But you know, but we always use we always put the in front of the word university. Yeah. So I thought it was. You know, he's at college. He's at university. I, I guess it makes sense that they don't put that the in there. Here's another one, and and folks, you're gonna love this one, and and maybe you all knew this. I didn't know this. Do you know what the last letter of the alphabet is actually pronounced in Europe as? And I'm talking English speaking countries, including Canada. It's, is it Z? It's Z. Yeah. Where the heck did that come from? I never heard of Z. You'd heard of that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that was rolling around in my brain, but yeah, I must have Crazy picked it up somewhere. Thing, Zed. I remember having this long discussion with a Canadian. I'm like, what are you talking about, Zed? He goes, that's the, that's the last letter in the alpha. I go, no, it's not a Z. And he was right. Somewhere along the line, and I say he's right because I always have to say whatever the, the British say. It's their language, right? <laughs> um, we have to default to them, I guess. Yeah, yeah I guess somewhere along the line, we, we dropped the, the, the D. It's Zed. Blew my mind. Anyway, Too funny. We covered a lot of great Folks, <laughs> have a great new year. Reach out to us if you need anything. Book a chat with Dan. God bless everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been attained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Nikki Early is an investment advisor representative of Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a privacy policy statement, call 800-353-7920. 23.